0: Well, good morning, church. Why don't you go and grab your Bibles and turn to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 3. We made it easy on you this morning. You can find that, just chapter 3 of Genesis. If you if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you, so you feel free to take that with you this morning. But turn over to Genesis chapter 3, As you kind of saw on the video, and if you're a guest, maybe uh, it's your first Sunday with us. We are as a church in the middle of a season of prayer together and we are desiring and hoping to set aside this first month of january and we call it prayer 744 and you say what does that mean well there's 744 hours in january and our hope is not a single hour goes by that somebody from this church is not crying out to god for one another and for each other and for our church and our community and to the other ends of the earth we're praying Crying out to God. And I'll just remind you, there are slots still available over the next few weeks. If you haven't signed up for one, you can do that on the app. You can go online. You can stop out there at the help desk and somebody will help you find a slot to take and pray. But uh, we're praying really uh, because God calls us to pray, right? I mean, God's very fast. Somebody's in agreement. That's awesome. Thank you, young man. Uh, more of that, please. Scripture says to devote ourselves to prayer. Uh, Scripture calls out, Jesus says, uh, those who ask, receive, Uh, those who seek, find, to those who knock, it will be opened. Uh, We're praying because the Bible seems to indicate that for some reason, God will do some things in our lives, through our lives, when we pray, that he chooses to not do when we don't pray. I don't understand all that, but the Bible seems to make that clear. So we're crying out to God in prayer and we want more of him. We're crying out to God because we want to know him and walk with him in this gift of this thing that we have called prayer. You guys know we're praying that God will be glorified as Jesus prayed. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I and mean, We want Jesus in his name, the name of the God Almighty to be made known through us and him to be glorified. We're praying that. Uh, We're praying specifically for our abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That each of you, you here who know Christ, that you are growing and you are pursuing. And you are walking in repentance and pursuing holiness and just flourishing as a disciple of Christ. We're praying that. We're praying for our devotion to one another. That we'll be serving one another and be, that, that the body of Christ would be the body of Christ. We're praying that God would use us to make his name known to the ends of the earth. Across the street the ends of the earth. And fifthly, we're praying. We're praying in particular, and this is where we're going to land this morning. We're praying as a church for healthy families. We're praying for healthy families right here in this church fellowship. We're we're asking God for healthy families outside this church fellowship, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And I want to begin with an illustration to kind of get our direction going, and then we're going to look in Genesis 3 and In a few minutes, David Brewer, one of our elders, he's going to lead us in a time of corporate prayer together for families. So let let me just kind of prime the pump and let you know where we're going this morning uh, with this illustration. In 1967, there was a war. And there was a war fought between the nation of Israel and multiple Arab nations. It was known as the Six-Day War. Now, as a result of this war, it turned out to be a major victory for the nation of Israel. One particular enemy that they were battling, the nation of Syria, in only a two-day bombing campaign, Israel was able to wipe out and bomb all of the Syrian military posts in what was known as the Golan Heights. It took only two days. Now, one of the reasons that this war, if you will, was so successful for the nation of Israel is because Prior to the Six-Day War, now watch this, prior to the actual Six-Day War, there had been a battle and a war going on in the nation of Syria, and Syria didn't even know it. There was a spy, there was a man by the name of Eli Cohen, if you've never studied that before, the Six-Day War, it's just incredible history, but Eli Cohen was a Jew And he was a spy that had infiltrated the nation of Syria, and over the years he had risen in the ranks of the Syrian military, and no one knew he was a spy. And for years he passed along incredibly vital information to Israel about the Syrian military. His most famous achievement was a tour of the area known as the Golan Heights. And the Golan Heights borders Israel. It's right across the Sea of Galilee. It's where Syria and Israel come together. It was there that he collected key intelligence on Syrian military fortifications and passed those on to Israel. Now watch this. Feigning sympathy or pretending to have sympathy for the Syrian military, he suggested that at all the military bases in Syria... To protect the soldiers from the heat, they should plant eucalyptus trees. So Eli Cohen, years before the war, convinced them to plant these eucalyptus trees throughout the nation of Syria. So throughout Syria, every military outpost was clearly identified by eucalyptus trees. So when the Six-Day War began, the bombers from Israel had one command. Gentlemen, bomb the eucalyptus trees. And that's all they had to do. You say, well, that's a cute little story, Mike, but what does the world does that have to do with me today? Here's the point of this story, and watch this. The conflict that only lasted six days in reality was a battle that had been going on in Syria for years. The Syrians were unaware that the war was even happening. The worst kind of battle that you can be in, brothers and sisters, is a battle that you do not even know is happening. So this morning, my aim is simply this. Every family in this building, every family that you know, every family that can come even to your mind at this moment, I want you to know there is a battle raging for the families in our country and in our world. There is a full-scale frontal attack, and here's what I want you to, to feel the sense of this morning before we go into a season of prayer, there's a battle going on for your family. And the worst place that you can find yourself in is just like the Syrians, that you're not even aware the battle is happening. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to identify a little bit of the battle from Genesis chapter 6. There is an ongoing battle to weaken, redefine, damage, and ultimately destroy the family as God has designed it to be. There is a continual battle happening. Without question, one of the greatest gifts to mankind is the family. God designed it. It was God's plan. He came up with it. It was His idea. And yet, we should not be surprised that there is an enemy who from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, what's this, comes after families. So if you're here, my my hope this morning is that you leave in just a few minutes with a heightened sense of awareness of the battle that is going on right now for your family. Now, you say this. One of the challenges in trying to teach through a message like this and focus on our, our families is the reality that I am fully aware that in this room currently there are some of you who... Let me just say it this way you battle, you bear the scars today of the battle. I, I'm no, under no illusion that every family represented in this room is a happy, content, safe family where everything's just hunky dory. I, I live under no illusion of that. I know there are some families in this room. That even come to my mind. That's one of the challenges of being a pastor when you wrestle with things like this. Names are coming to my mind. Families are coming to my mind. I know that there are battles. I know that there are things that are not the way you want them to be. I know there are absent moms. There are absent husbands. There are rebellious children. I know all that's going on. But here's the worst case this morning. Is some of you are way over here and either out of passivity or ignorance. You have no idea there's a battle going on right now for your family. I don't want you to be there. Your elders don't want you to be there. So this morning, even as we prepare to break up in groups in just a few minutes, and we're going to pray specifically for the families of this church and families that come to my mind, I want to, I want to add a little fuel to our hearts this morning out of Genesis chapter 3. So look there, if you will, Genesis chapter 3. Now, you may have never read Genesis chapter 3 from the perspective of it being a battle scene. Genesis chapter 3 is a war zone. There are major casualties that come out of Genesis chapter 3. I'll just set the context very quickly, I think you probably know it. Genesis chapter 3, uh, Adam, Eve in the Garden of Eden. Perfect situation a healthy marriage in some ways, a perfect relationship with God. God has created everything that is. You look at the Garden of Eden and you see here is the first family that ever existed. And we pick it up in Genesis 3.1. I'm just going to read several verses. We'll make some uh, observations and then call us to a season of prayer here in just a few minutes. Uh, Genesis 3.1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the lord god had made now i'm not going to stop at every verse but i'm going to stop here because there's a ton in verse 1 there is a serpent that comes into the garden now if you know your bible you know that this is not a slithery snake down on the ground this is this is the uh, enemy of our souls himself this is satan himself who comes disguised as something beautiful he walks into the garden here's a note for you you and i have a real enemy it's not a myth there's an enemy of your soul. There's an enemy working against your family. The scripture says he, is, he was more crafty than any beast of the field. The word crafty means a deceiver, means he's, he's cunning, he has plans, he is wiser than you, he is smarter than you. And it says, then any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. You do need to know that your enemy does not have unlimited power. You need to know that your enemy is not an eternal being. He was created by God. Therefore, as a believer, as a believer, nothing comes into your life that does not pass through the authoritative hand of your heavenly Father your enemy has been defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross however he is still active and here's his main tactic and tool in your life is he just wants to lie to you constantly he wants to tell you lies about yourself he wants to tell you lies about your family he wants to tell you lies about God the main weapon your enemy has is lies and I'll just say this Some of you are wrestling with major issues in your family right now, and you could identify them. If you you get down to where the rubber meets the road, it looks like a lot of different things. If you chase it to its end, you're probably somewhere believing a lie, Something's not true, not true about your spouse, not true about your finances, not true about God, something that's not true. That's the enemy's schemes. And he said to the woman, verse 1, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, flashback very quickly, Genesis two seventeen. God said to Adam primarily and to Eve, everything in the garden is yours. Live it up. I've created all these things for food. I've created these things for your blessing. There is one thing, center of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. The soul that eats will surely, what? Die. There will be consequences. Don't eat it. So Satan comes and he says this. Did God really say that? And the woman says to the serpent, verse 2. From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said. You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. It's preposterous. Questioning immediately what God has said. Verse 5. For God knows... God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was appealing to her, and it was a delight to the eyes. Her eyes fixed on it, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit, and she ate of it, and she, watch this, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Adam, what's up, man? I mean, every man in this room ought to read that and go, Dude, there's a serpent talking to your wife. Where have you been? Where have you been? Verse 7, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, or as my daughter used to read Genesis, knacked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loin coverings for themselves. It's a battle scene. There's casualties. Every person in this room is one of the casualties, (laughs) Sin enters the human race here. If you want to know why the world functions as it is, as a broken world, it's because we live in a Genesis 3 world. It goes all the way back to right here. So we have an understanding. It's tragic. It's a war zone. But practically, watch this. We see some help in fighting for the health and the flourishing of our families. There's some help here for you and me. So we fight for our families the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6:11 said this, and this kind of sets the trajectory for us so well. he says, "Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes." Now the devil, the word scheme means battle strategy, it means plan, it means tactics. There are schemes that your enemy has against you. A schemer is not someone that just says, oh, I'm going to try to do someone harm. A schemer says, I'm going to try to do someone harm and I will be patient, I will be planning, I will be plotting, I will watch them, I will learn their weaknesses, I will know their strengths, and at the right time, at the right moment, I'll know when to move in. The enemy's a schemer. He knows your strengths, he knows your weaknesses, he knows the chinks in your armor, and he's ready with a big fat lie to drop in your life day in, day out, moment by moment. He's a schemer, but we have weapons to fight against the enemy. But let me say this, earthly human weapons are of no power against your supernatural enemy. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. What does that look like? We'll talk more about that in just a minute. So here's the big truth, okay? We're going to have big, big truth, and then I'm going to to come out of this with some practical application for you. Here it is. There is a real enemy whose sinister schemes are continually aimed directly at the family. Everybody get that? I want you to get that. I want there to be a keen sense that I don't want to be like the Syrians who are unaware that there's, man, there's a battle going on for my family. And this is one of those things as a pastor, I, I need you to know this is a tough message because... I'm sharing this as a dad. I'm sharing this as a husband. I'm sharing this as one of your elders and one of your pastors. I'm sharing this as a person who has way too much knowledge of what's going on in the lives of the people of this church. I'm one who stands before you, and I wrestle with these things just like you do. So please don't sit there and think, well, Pastor Mike's got everything figured out. My wife could come up on stage and give a long testimony of how I don't have everything figured out, all right? So we're in this together. And I want to show you three or four as time allows us to send us into prayer. What are the schemes of the enemy? What are the tactics of the enemy that he uses and that he is currently using in some form in your family to weaken your family? I'll give you four of them very quickly. Number one, a distorted view of God. A distorted view of God. First attack, First family was this, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field the Lord God had made. Verse 1, he says to the woman, has God said? Did God really say that? Meaning the enemy's first strategy against you and against your family is in some way to get you to doubt the truthfulness of what God has said. Or in some way to minimize the importance of God's word in your life and in your family's life. Because remember, remember, if the, enemy can, if the enemy can create where you don't know what the truth is, he will fill the void that's left of truth, which sets you free. He will fill the void with lies, which will lead to bondage in your life. The truth is the word of God. He'll distort the Word of God. He'll cause you to minimize the Word of God. He'll cause you to be distracted from the Word of God. Whatever it takes. His first strategy is just it's incredible. Did God really say that? Has God said? His first attack was on the Word of God. Secondly, his attack was on the character of God. Verse 5 For God knows. God knows, Eve, that in the day you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Eve, listen, when God said that, if it's even what he said, God's cheating you. God's robbing you of something. Do you understand how much is on the other side if you'll just just disobey God and trust your own heart and trust your own feelings regardless of what God says? God is cheating you, Eve. He knows what it will be. He knows your eyes will be open. He knows you'll be like God. Listen, if the enemy, watch this. If the enemy through his strategies and his tactics can get you to believe a lie about God or not to trust that God is completely trustworthy or not to trust God that somehow his will is not perfectly good for you, listen, you are going to begin to make choices. Watch this. You will begin to make decisions and choices, not based on truth, but based on lies. Because every choice that I make and every behavior that I choose as a believer and really as a human being reflects what I really believe about God. Do you hear that? We can sing all day and we can say all day, but what you really believe about God's faithfulness and God's goodness and God's plan is reflected in how I live my life moment by moment by moment. So the enemy knows, if I can distort the word of God, if I can get the word of God out of their lives, if I can get them to minimize it, then they're going to begin to have twisted views about who God is and then their life will simply flow from that. You live ultimately what you believe to be true about God. You're spending money right now in your family based on what you really believe to be true about God. So am I. I'm treating my spouse ultimately how I view God. I see myself in reflection to who God is. So if you're believing a lie about who God is, it's going to have ripple effects into every single area of your life. So the enemy strategy was a distorted view of God. What God had said, who God is. Now, I just got to tell you, my tension this morning is every single one of these could be a message, a message series in and of itself. I want to try to limit these as brief as I can. I know there's a lot more here to say. Let me give you the big idea that flows out of each one of these. So we said a distorted view of God. Here's big idea number one. Families flourish who know the character of God flowing from a deep commitment to the word of God. That's where families flourish. You've been here any amount of time, you know, at this church, and you say, I've I, I really heard about it until I'm sick of it. So I get that. We do something called the family discipleship plan. Family discipleship plan is not a curriculum. The family discipleship plan is a strategy to equip parents. It's rooted ultimately in a way and a tool for the family of faith, the family at home, to work together, to equip the next generation. And watch this. The foundation of it is what God says and who God is. What God says and who God is. To build that into the lives of our kids from the very beginning. we got something going on next week called Parent Connect. That's very important for you as parents. As you battle this through this thing together. That you're not battling alone. These things are here available in this church family. So this big idea number one. The distorted view of God is a strategy. i got three more very quickly. And then we're going to spend a season in prayer. These will be a little quicker. But I'll just go ahead and tell you. You're not going to like these next ones. <laughs> I don't like these next ones. Number two. The other strategy of the enemy is this, a passive, disengaged man. Listen, I'm a husband, I'm a father, Genesis chapter 3 right here horrifies me. As this attack happens, Adam is not gone, Adam is not somewhere playing golf, Adam is there, he's present, but he's disengaged and he's passive. Genesis 3.6 as a dad and a husband is a horrifying verse to me because I know that I'm capable, I'm capable as a man to do exactly what Adam did here. It says, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took it, she ate of its fruit, she gave also to her husband, what's the next two words, with her. And he ate. That's horrifying to me. That's horrifying because I, as the husband, I know before God, Adam, just like you and me, was given the responsibility to defend. He was given the responsibility to protect. He's given the responsibility to steer toward truth. And here he is in this situation. And again, it's, it's just shocking. Adam, there is a... Being that has walked into the garden, he's carrying on a conversation with your wife. He's speaking against what God has clearly said to you a few minutes earlier. And Adam, some way, somehow, do nothing. It's heartbreaking to me and horrifying to me. Big idea number two is this, families flourish with spirit-filled men who reject passivity, assume responsibility, and lead courageously. Reject passivity, assume responsibility, and lead courageously. Guys, it is scary and it is hard, and I know that because I'm one of you, but we are to set the pace. We are to set the priorities. We are to lovingly and humbly, as servants, bef- serve our families, but with great courage, lead and steer our families to the things that matter most. It's our job. And listen, I, I know it's so easy, and, I, and I, I get this. It's so easy. Well, it's time beat up on men time. No, I don't want you to hear that at all. I want you to hear something this morning, man, and I need you to hear this from another brother that loves you and loves the church and loves this family. I know the call and the responsibility on men can be at times so heavy. And listen, I know that because I'm one of you, and I've also seen over the years, hundreds of men who want to bail out and flee the situation either because they can't bear it or they don't know how to do it and they want to run and hide and they want to bail out. Listen, I'm pleading with you this morning in the name of Christ. If you're here and you're a believer and the spirit of God dwells in you, I want you to know that you have been given everything in Christ pertaining to life and godliness. He has equipped you with everything you need to lead your family, to answer the call that he's given you by the Power of Christ in you don't bail out and you say Pastor Mike I'll be honest I, I, don't, I don't even know how to do that that is a great place to start because let me tell you something Men who want to lead this way and men who are just striving to lead this way. This is not an arrival. It's a pursuit. They're few and far between, but i got some good news for you. You are in a church family where there are a host of men here that are striving and are pursuing. And if you're here and you say, man, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know the first step. Here's your first step. Humble yourself before the Lord and then humble yourself before another brother and say, could you take me to coffee and teach me how to lead my family? That's the church. That's the church being the church. Churches and families thrive when men lead as God's called us to lead. Not in a despotic way at all. That's not the heart behind this at all and you know that. So again, all of these could be a sermon in and of themselves, a sermon series. You need to know that. Strategy number one, a distorted view of God. Second, a passive disengaged man. Guys are saying, okay, are you done? you ready to move on from me? Let's talk to the ladies for a minute. Here's number three. Thirdly, was an independent, isolated woman. Oh, Pastor Mike, you're getting into it now. You ready for this? What's going on here? It's shocking that throughout this story, the enemy continues to have a conversation with Eve. Eve is in conversation with the enemy. Eve listens to the enemy. Eve is simply isolated, and Eve is out there on her own. Now, I know Adam seems to be passive. I know he seems to be checked out. But here's what happens. She engages the serpent alone. She never seems to consult God. She never seems to consult her husband. Watch this. Here's the word picture. She had no cover that God had created and provided for her. She seemed to remove herself from that cover, and she was out on her own. It's never intended to be that way. There's a word in Scripture and there's a concept in Scripture that I want to take 30 seconds and try to redeem this morning. The world has distorted this concept. Even in the church, we've distorted this concept. But there is a word called submission. And submission means to come up under the place of protection and the place of covering and to find safety and shelter there. The word submission, go ahead and put this definition. Submission is a love word. That's revolutionary, isn't it? Submission is a love word. It's not a control word. Submission means letting someone to love you, teach you, influence you. In fact, the degree to which we submit to others is the degree to which we will experience their love. In other words, as believers, we submit to our King, Christ Jesus. We come up under His leadership and His protection and His guidance. And it's there, a place of safety and a place of flourishing under His leadership. God in his wisdom has designed that in the home, God primarily leads through the man that God has placed in the home. Now listen, pause, parentheses, I know I'm talking to some families where the men are absent or passive in the home. I know that. But let me give you a single statement that might help you, wives and ladies, take a step toward this and honoring that husband and honoring the Lord in trust. It's this. Maybe start with this question to your husband. Sweetheart, guys, you can pay me for this later. Sweetheart, what do you think would be best? Say, wow. That's revolutionary. Let me tell you something. There's some men in this room right now, and their heart resonates with that because they simply want to lead, and they would like to direct, and would you just would you just trust them? Listen, I have a wife, and you guys know that. I'm incredibly thankful for my wife. She's one of the wisest. You know Jennifer, smartest. My wife would be fine without me. <laughs> she would. But she understands biblically that her place of safety and protection is refuge because God has designed it to come up under her husband. My wife, nine times out of ten, knows what's better. She does. She's smarter. My wife, nine times out of ten, knows the best thing to do. And she, but she would say, "Sweetie, we're going to do this together. You, lead, you trust a place of submission, a place of protection, because that's the way God has set it up to be, to his glory. Big idea number three. Families flourish with spirit filled women who reject independence and willingly submit to the leadership of their husbands. We'll pray about that in just a few minutes. Number four, and we're finished. So we've got a distorted view of God. We have a passive, disengaged man. We have an independent, isolated woman. And then, fourthly, we have a divided couple. A divided couple. The verse says, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, he didn't go to Adam and Eve. He didn't try to come to them together. Here's always the strategy. The enemy tries to get someone out by themselves, someone off on their own. Here he tries to separate Adam and Eve. In war, the first mission is to knock out the enemy's ability to communicate. Here, he's trying to hinder the communication between husband and wife. His primary strategy between you and your spouse is this, hinder communication. And all the men went, oh, communication. Lord, help me. I get it. I get it. His strategy is to to cause husband and wife to live separate lives. It's called the separate life syndrome. Listen, I'm going to pursue my thing, and you pursue your thing. And that all sounds good and everything, but give it a year. Give it five years. Give it ten years. And pretty soon you look around at each other, and you realize we're roommates living under the same roof. The enemy can divide if he can separate the two. Here's your big idea. Number four, families flourish with spirit-filled couples who pursue one another above all others, meaning I pursue the health of my marriage relationship above all other human relationships. With my spouse and my spouse alone, I'm said to be one. Therefore, it is the preeminent human relationship. You are in a church with other married couples that are striving and pursuing and working at it in perfection, no way, no how, no shape, no form. That's why living in community and being a part of a life group and being connected with others is absolutely vital that you're not trying to do this alone. And I'll just say this, if you're newlywed or you're almost a newlywed, do not try to fight the battle alone. You must be in community with other believers. It is essential. So this morning, I hope with some of these things, it, it stirs in our heart that there's a battle for our families. I I care about your family. I care about my family, and I care about the families of this church, and our elders are praying over you and over your families. And this morning, I'm going to Let's go ahead and ask uh, David Brewer if he'd come on down. And he's going to, he's one of our elders, he's going to lead us in a time of corporate prayer for these families. And as he comes down, our team's going to join us on stage too. Let, let me just remind you, and let me just say this before David comes. You say, Pastor Mike, how could I ever lead like this? How could I ever experience a family like this? First, let, me, let me say this. First and foremost, sir, ma'am, sitting in the center of my voice, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior here this morning? Because what we're talking about here in this kind of battle is not fought in the flesh or with fleshly tools. It is fought only by the living spirit of Jesus Christ in you. Do you know Christ? Have you been transformed? If not this morning, before you leave this building, there's a prayer room right outside this uh, facility. There's a prayer room at the top of the stairs. Stop by this morning and say, I need to talk to someone about a relationship with Christ. Are you, child of God, are you abiding in Jesus and his word? Are you dwelling in community? Are you trying to fight this thing alone? And this morning, we're going to fight in prayer together. So David, why don't you come and lead us in a season of prayer for our families this morning.
1: Okay, so a few things we can pray over today. First of all, uh, especially for a a topic like this, it's important that we're together, that we show unity, that we're... um, demonstrating visibly that we're praying for one another, not just ourselves. So I would like to ask you to, um, to own your row, or the, in the person or people in front of you or behind you, find a, a group and I would like to ask something even in addition to what we normally do, um, if you could form a circle of three to five to seven and actually hold hands uh, during this uh, special time of prayer. And most of the praying you will do will be silently between you and God. Uh, there will be one occasion where I ask someone in the group if they're willing to voice a prayer. But, uh, but I just want the, 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 the unity displayed in our group. So if you could find a, a group to huddle with real quick, I'll lead us in a time of prayer. Thank you. <laughs> for doing that first thing I would like to ask you to pray and this is something I would just invite you to pray personally not anyone voicing a prayer just you talking to God in your closet of your mind a good place to start on a message like this is a prayer of repentance we heard about how oftentimes we we just have a distorted view of God A distorted view of his word, of his plan. Let's remind ourselves that he is the author of marriage. He's the author of family. This is not our idea. This is his. And we oftentimes need to repent simply of the fact that we don't hold the same view of these things as God does. We don't fully appreciate and understand the meaning of a covenant relationship to the same degree that He does. We often fail in fulfilling the roles within a family dynamic that He's charged and commanded us to fulfill. So will you take a moment and just acknowledge any area of repentance personally for you? in this area of serving the Lord through your family. secondly again individually just you between you and God I would invite you to pray for your specific immediate family you know the the challenges the the uh, any uh, issues that need to be overcome um, you may just be reminded today that your family is under attack and you want to pray specifically for each member of your immediate family. So I want to invite you in this moment to take a moment with God and just pray specifically for your immediate family. Finally, in your groups, I would just invite you to pray over the families that are represented in this room. Your, your extended family, but your, your church family. Everyone in this room is a member of a family unit. Would you pray for these families that God would protect them? from the lies of Satan, from the schemes of the devil, from thinking that they can manage through these relationships on their own, using and leaning upon their own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God, would you just pray for that right now? And if someone in the group would be willing to voice a prayer on behalf of the group that extends over the the the, uh, families represented in this church that would be great thank you Lord, thank you for a time of prayer this morning. Lord, forgive us for so many times in so many different areas, but especially this one, thinking that we can just lean on our own understanding and navigate our way through the challenges of um, marriage and family. Lord, how can we, how can we, fulfill the rose you've called us to apart from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. May we first give ourselves to you to come under the covering of your lordship. To trust you that what you say about marriage and what you say about our role in it is true, that we won't believe the lies of the devil, that we understand, Lord, that how we interact in these family relationships represents not only you, but represents the gospel. You've even said that our marriage bond is a reflection of the covenant between Christ and his church. Help us to have a high view. A high view of what you've created. What you've allowed us to participate in. As we continue through this month of prayer and as we find ourselves thinking of the many things we can pray over and through during the specific hours of time that we are committed to pray may this topic be one that occupies a lot of our attention Lord we love you we thank you that you are a good good father we simply reflect your character many times when we're operating in the rose that you've designed for us Help us to demonstrate forgiveness, unconditional love, and all the attributes that are accessible to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.